to Romans chapter 9, verse 14. Romans 9, uh, verse 14. Now, if you've been with us uh, since we started Romans about 10 years ago, um, we've seen in the first eight chapters that no matter who you are, Gentile or Jew, and remember a Gentile is just a non-Jew, so everybody falls into one of those two categories. You're either a Gentile or you're a Jewish person or a combination of both. And in the first eight chapters, Paul, the apostle, remember who was the persecutor of Christians before Jesus Christ had an encounter with him, where Jesus met him and set him straight. But he listened. The cool thing about Saul, who became Paul, was he listened to God's words. He listened to the Lord. And I was thinking, as they say that chapter 9 of Romans is one of the most difficult chapters in all the scriptures because how it talks about uh, election and God's sovereignty and things like that. But I was thinking with, uh, if you were here Sunday with Pastor Jason, and he was talking about um, all the different things that he gave us. That was a college lecture I thought I was in that day with everything he was going through. There's so much information. But I was just thinking back when I first became a believer and some of the questions that I had. First uh, verse in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. And if you can handle that, in the beginning, God, then you can pretty much take everything else in the Bible. If you can understand that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you believe that, well, then it's pretty easy to go through the rest of scriptures and have a belief. But again, the book of Romans is, the first eight chapters are doctrinal. When we get through chapters 9, 10, and 11, and get into chapters 12 through 16, it's like a practical application of the things that we've seen. But now there's a little pit stop in uh, Romans 9, 10, and 11. Because you have to remember that this Paul is showing to the Jewish people as well as to the Gentile people that we are all sinners and that we need a Savior. Doesn't matter if you're following the law like the Ten Commandments, that you must have a relationship with Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And this is what this rabbi does. Remember, he was a true Jew. He was up there on the Jewish totem pole. He knew the law inside out. And he at first came and persecuted Christians who were following Jesus. They didn't recognize him. And then they had, he had an encounter with Jesus. And then he went and God sent him to go to the Gentiles to preach to them. And he's writing this letter to the Romans. He, he's intending to get there and he eventually ends up there. But he didn't know if he was going to be killed because of his faith in Jesus Christ. So he sends this letter to Rome. And we've been studying it for months now. And we're getting into Romans 9. We're now we're saying, well, what about the Jews? What about, you're talking about the Gentiles all the time. And we understand that. But are we forgotten now? Is the Jewish nation no longer count? Well, we're going to see that they do count. Because it's very important that they still count to you and to me. Because if God is a covenant breaker, if he breaks his covenant with the Jews, 
then why wouldn't he break his covenant with you and me one day? But God is a God of his word. Amen? What he says is what he means. Now, we might not understand everything. And I try to do a little PowerPoint tonight to help me and hopefully you to understand some of the things a little more uh, through a couple pictures and a couple things that the Lord uh, put on my heart tonight to share with you. But we're going to pick up in verse 14 of chapter 9. The title of the message is A Stumbling Stone and a Rock of Offense. So this is part two. We started this a few weeks ago. So this is the second part of the last message that we had in Romans 9. So we're picking up in Romans 9, and we're going to read verses 14 to verses 33 to get a, a little picture of what's going on here. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay, from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they shall be called the sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? that Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And dear Lord, we just pray right now that you would help us to understand those things in these verses that you would have us hide in our heart and take home with us tonight. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now in verse 14, um, it says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. Now, leading up to that, the first 13 verses 
talked about election, um, how God chose Abraham, how he chose Isaac instead of Ishmael, how he chose Jacob instead of Esau. And I did that little demonstration where I came down and I gave some of the girls, uh, young girls, some water. And I said, sorry to all of you, but I just wanted to give them water. It was just a gift. And that's basically what God is doing to you and me through his grace. He's given us his gift. Grace is a gift. He just gives it to us. Now, mercy, as we're going to see in here, is something totally different. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Okay? Keep that in mind now. My, the way I see it is this. The way it's helped me is I deserve to go to hell. But through God's mercy and what he did at the cross, I'm not going there. Because I put my trust in the Savior who died on the cross for my sins. So in this, where Paul is picking up in 14, he says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God because of how he's doing things? And the answer is certainly not. He's God. He's righteous. He's not looking out to get anybody. He's the fairest God that there ever was. And he's the only God that there ever was. But he is righteous. And in verse 15, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. And you have to remember, this is when Moses was up on the mountain, the people down below were having the orgy with the golden calf, and uh, Moses wanted to see God's glory, and God hit him in the cleft of the rock, and he saw his glory as it passed by. As God went by, he saw the tail end of his glory. And God told him, hey, Moses, whoever I want to have mercy to, I'm going to show him mercy. That's up to me. That's my call. It's not your call. And I think as humans, and I think you'll agree with this, boy, we, will, we like to have a say, right, in the things that happen to us. We want to try to maneuver our way. We want to try to have some control over what's going on. Well, the problem is, as a believer in Jesus, you have to just let it all, give it all to the Lord. That's why he's Lord. It's not he's partial Lord or mini Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord of all. And how, how is that in your life and my life today? You know, there's still things I try to Lord over in my life. And the Lord is constantly showing me, hey, let it go, Vin. Let it go. Let me be the one who's controlling your life. Verse 16 says, so then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Again, putting it back on God. It doesn't matter if you're willing it or you're actually doing it. In other words, you're actually following God's laws or you're actually wishing that you could do these things. It's not based on those kind of things. God is trying, Paul is trying to show us that it's just God. It's just his choice to speak to your heart and speak to my heart. It's not how good we are, how bad we are. He just loves you, and he wants to just put his love on you, and he does that when we gather together, when we individually pray in our room, open up his word. He wants to have that intimate fellowship with us. That's crucial. And hopefully you're learning that, or you already know that, and you're holding on to that, that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, now we're going to pick up 
on some PowerPoint stuff here. The stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Chapter 9 closes with this, okay, about the stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Now, in the scriptures, and you might not be able to read it, but the first one, if you've taken notes, is simply Isaiah 8.14. And Isaiah 8.14 says, He will be as a sanctuary. Now, that's talking about God. It's talking about Jesus. He will be a sanctuary. Now, a sanctuary is a place that you can go for peace, rest, protection, um, information, guidance. It's a safe haven. It's a safe place. So it says here, he will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the house of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, Paul knows firsthand of the problem of receiving Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior because he was a Jew. He was following the laws of Moses along with the other 600 laws. We know the 600 laws were condensed in the Ten Commandments. So Paul has come out of this legal mentality into an encounter with Jesus Christ. And that's something I know many of you have had. You've had an encounter with Jesus. Some of you are here checking it out. You're saying, well, who is this Jesus? Who, what, is he real? Is, is he really what he's all about and the things that I've heard? Well, understand that you just being in the sound of a teaching or being here present tonight, that's God bringing you into a place to listen. Now, the Jews knew the first five books of the Bible. They knew what was in those writings, but they couldn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah that was being talked about in the scriptures. And that... Jesus became a stumbling stone to them. He was the rock of offense. They couldn't understand it. It didn't fit that even Gentiles could believe and be saved. You know, but hey, I'm a Jew. I, I follow all those laws. I do all the traditions. I keep all those uh, holy days. And you're telling me a, a non-Jew, just by believing in Jesus, is going to be accepted in the kingdom of heaven? This, this boggles my mind. My ancestors go all the way back to the days in the desert. And you're saying that Gentile, they call them dogs. They were outcasts. That dog can receive Jesus and be in the same standing before God as a Jew. This is very difficult for me to believe. I can't believe this. So this was their dilemma. In 1 Corinthians 10.4, it says, And all drank that same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Remember the stumble. Remember the stumbling stone. The rock of offense is Jesus Christ. This is what they're having trouble with. This is what Gentiles are having trouble with. You mean I don't have to go anyplace? I don't have to achieve anything in order to be saved? I just have to put my trust in this man called Jesus who went to a cross and died and that you're telling me he rose from the dead three days later and that that was God's stamp of approval that he's forgiven you your sins if you put your trust in him? See, this was what Paul was trying to get across to not only the Romans, 
but also to the Jewish people. And notice in 1 Corinthians, that rock was Christ. That rock was Jesus Christ. Specific. Remember what Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say there were hundreds of ways. He said there was one way. Made it simple. Didn't make it difficult for people. And in 1 Peter 2, 8, it says, And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. You have in your laps or your hands today, you have God's holy word, Genesis to Revelation. Now understand in academia, outside the Christian church, this is a hated book. Okay? It's a hated book because it goes against the very things in philosophy that they're teaching people. Whether you're a high school, college, uh, going for a doctorate, there's things in schools that are contrary to the scripture. They laugh at you as old-fashioned if you are quote from the scripture. And they say that we have blind faith. See, it's a, it's a rock of offense. It's a stumbling stone. They don't see it. And you need to pray for those people when you come encounter, because I'll tell you what, you and I stumbled too, right? Before we came to Jesus, we were stumbling. He was offensive to us. We wanted to do our own thing. Didn't make any sense. I should be able to do whatever I want. But God keeps going after you. He keeps trying to show you. And when you open up his word and you start seeing what he's telling you through his love letters, it makes a heck of a lot of sense. To what he's doing. Now notice in 1 Peter, the disobedience to the word. You and I could be sitting here tonight going through this teaching for the next half hour, right? And then we can say, okay, that was nice and move on. Notice what the scripture is saying here. Disobedient to the word. They stumble being disobedient to the word. If you're tripping up, if you're having a hard time really walking the Christian walk, well, understand it's usually because of disobedience. You might, be take, you might be a smorgasbord Christian. You go to the table, I like this, I'm going to have some of this. Nah, I don't want that. No, no. Oh, this is, gonna, this is going with my ears right now, my appetite. No, I'm going to stay away from that section. We can be like that as Christians. But God wants to be Lord. The very thing that is irritating you is the very thing that God's trying to show you through His Holy Spirit to submit to him. Verse 17. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. For the scripture says, we can gloss right over that. We can pass right over that. Verse up here is Luke 24, 44. It says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And then the next verse, And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Remember what I was saying with the academia that they're given, they're, there's a hatred of the scriptures. There's a hatred. They think it's foolishness. 
when you quote scripture. So they have their own philosophy on life. That you can believe anything. But boy, that, that isolated, segregated Christianity stuff, that's crazy. That's, that's behind the times. They say that we have a blind faith. No, we don't. Pastor Jason did a great job in showing you academia and the blind faith it takes to believe what they're saying. We have the scriptures. We have prophecy fulfilled to the exact identical point. It's right there in the scriptures. You can go back, as it says here in Luke, and you can go back to the law of Moses. You can go back to the prophets and all the prophecies. You can go to the Psalms. I think right away of Psalm 22, how it talks about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ a thousand years before crucifixion was even a method of capital punishment. How does that happen? How does that happen? It's because God, who's outside of time, puts into the heart of men and women to write down things, to pass it down in history, and we can go back and check. We have the advantage, think of this, in the year 2013 to check out what God has given us and look back. We have history that proves the scriptures and proves who Jesus was. We have history. They didn't have this. Some of them just saw promises in the future. We can see their promises in the future in the scriptures and we can look back and see them fulfilled. If God doesn't open up your understanding and my understanding, then we're not going to understand the scriptures that we read. We have to open up and say, Lord, you need to help me to understand this. If you're having a struggle with the scriptures, just ask God, Lord, help me to understand. I'm having a hard time reading this. And he will. He'll do that. In verse 17, the scripture says to Pharaoh, before we get to Pharaoh, in Isaiah 48, 3, it says about the prophecies, I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth and I caused them to hear it. Suddenly I did them and they came to pass. There's refutable evidence that God is a God of his word. God is a God who fulfills his promises. I was listening to Amir um, a Sephardi. He's a captain of the Israeli army, but he's also a Messianic Jew. He was in Old Bridge in July. And there's a prophecy in the scriptures that talks about the destruction of Damascus, which is in Syria. And right now, you can go to any newspaper or go on the Drudge Report or any other reports, and you're seeing that right now in Syria, right outside of Damascus, is where they use those chemical weapons. And Amir had said that he believes that prophecy has already come to fulfillment because most of Damascus is destroyed today. It's destroyed right now. People, we are living in such an exciting time that yes, we pray for everything that's going on over there. We're praying for the peace of Jerusalem. But understand that Russia, China, Iran has told us not to get involved over there. And that this week, there could be major, major things happening over there where Russia could be making a move right through Syria, 
going right down into Israel. Is that the hook that we hear about in the scriptures? God has never, ever lied in his prophecies. Every prophecy has come fulfilled. Every one, 100%. Are we on that cutting edge, brothers and sisters here? And if you're not a believer in Christ, do you understand that things are happening in this world right now that just is greater evidence of what the scripture is saying? We should be on the cutting edge of our walk with Jesus Christ. We should be more intent and focused than we've ever been. Because according to the scriptures and according to what we believe in the scriptures, that it could be any day now that the body of believers is taken out of the world. Could happen in the blink of an eye. Are you ready? Are you ready for that? It is an exciting time if you're a believer that's walking with Jesus Christ. But if you're not walking with Christ, it can be a scary time. But understand the Lord loves you so much that he brings you to a place where we're opening up his word and he's pricking your heart. He's trying to get you stirred up to see those things. Back to Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh is the guy that's being fanned. Okay? And I was thinking of this picture of Pharaoh how he was a god to the Egyptians. They worshipped him. He was a man god. Then all of a sudden, all these slaves that have, had built all the uh, pyramids and the sphinxes, all those things over in Egypt that some are still standing today, a couple of the guys that were Jews come to Pharaoh and say, you know, our god told us, Pharaoh, let our people go. And Pharaoh's saying, well, who are you to tell me? The Pharaoh, the, the president, the, the king, to let all my workers go. I'm not going to let them go. That, 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 I can sit back and be fanned because all you Jewish guys are working in the fields and in the quarries. And here, my question is to me, how am I like Pharaoh? I remember when I first came to Christ. Remember that? Some of you here, remember the chair, the throne? And the question was, who's on that throne? And when I first saw it, it was me on the throne. And then around the throne, there was all these circles. And it had sports, jobs, uh, friends, and had a cross. And the right relationship is when Jesus is on the throne and then all those other things are going around the throne. But I was, as I was preparing this message, I'm saying, well, you know what, I'm a lot of times like Pharaoh because I try to control my own existence. But then God's grace and mercy comes in and he sends his Holy Spirit to get me questioning. And now he sends Moses and Aaron into the court of Pharaoh. And if you can notice on the ground, there's a snake. One of the animals that was worshipped in Egypt by Pharaoh and his kingdom. So Moses took Aaron's staff, threw it down, it became a snake. And you can see in this picture, there's a purpose that God had when he did this, when he sent Moses in there. And, and as we look here, it says, For the scripture says in verse 17 to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. 
Let me say that this should be a prayer of yours and mine, that for this very purpose, Lord, raise me up that I may show your power and your, that your name may be glorified in the earth. See, Pharaoh had an opportunity just like you and I did to glorify Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, we know by reading the Exodus account in the Old Testament that God gave him at least 10 chances, gave him at least 10 opportunities to repent and come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. How many opportunities has he given you and me over our lives? How many opportunities? I know there's a mixture of ages, ages in here. It's easy for me to look back and now say, holy mackerel, Lord, I missed you on that one. But boy, your hand was right involved when I was in my college days. I can't believe that. Now looking back where I was in my college days, I was like, Pharaoh, I'm going to just do what I want to do. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. Feels good, I'm going to do it. Boy, you, you preserved me, Lord. Wow. You held, you held on to me when I didn't even know it was you. And now I look back and I see your hand in all these things in my life up to the point I am right now. So here's Pharaoh having an opportunity with all these plagues. All the plagues were opportunities for Pharaoh to repent and to let the people go. But we know he hardened his heart. I think it says about 20 times he just hardened his heart. And 10 times it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And I think another 10 times it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So what the heck's going on? We know he had a hard heart after hearing it so many times. But understand this. This was a historical moment. Just like the, there was an assassination of Martin Luther King or John F. Kennedy or Robert Kennedy. In some of our lifetimes, we lived through those assassinations. Some of you young people are seeing right now some of the stuff that's happened over the Middle East or you lived through the 9-11, the attack on the towers. So you, are going to have, you have memories of some volatile things that have taken place in your lifetime. Here's Pharaoh. Has an opportunity to change. You're here tonight. You're getting another opportunity to, to change, but also to advance and go further in your walk with the Lord. To draw closer to God so he'll draw closer to you. That you'll know him in an intimate way. But Pharaoh, hard in his heart. See, he, he wanted to be Pharaoh. He don't, I'm not going to let you people go. Who do you think you are? He was a man full of pride. Even though God was using Moses and Aaron to show him the truth of a living God. A real God. Not a half animal, half God that they worshipped in their temples. And some of the magicians that are here duplicated some of the first few miracles that Moses did, some of the plagues. But then they couldn't do some of the, the other ones. It's about six or seven, right, Mike, that they couldn't do, I believe. But they could do a few. They could duplicate a few. What's God's purpose for you? What's God's purpose for me? Here we see in 17, for the Scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you 
and that my name may be declared in all the earth. What is one of our prayers as believers? Lord, more of you, less of me. More of you, Lord, less of me. Less of Vinny, more of you. I want you to be out front. Do I blow that sometimes? Absolutely. You can ask my wife. You can ask my daughter. You can ask the kids I coach and I teach. Do I blow it? Absolutely. But boy, I know that I'm a heck of a lot better than I was when I first started my walk with the Lord. Because He's faithful. And He's just to bring us where He wants us to be. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Get a chance, read all of uh, chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes. Point I'm trying to make is here is God has a purpose for you. He's got a purpose for me. Are you living up to the purpose that He's chosen for you? He's made you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. The things He's put into your personality are to glorify Him. Are you doing that? Are you fulfilling your purpose? In this picture right here, if you notice, there's a second snake. Okay, this was the magicians trying to duplicate what God was really doing. Understand that as long as we're on this earth, there's going to be phonies. There's going to be imitators trying to do the things of God, whether it be teaching His Word, whether it be signs and wonders, whatever. You've got to be alert to this. You must be a student of the Word so you're not faked out. Okay? We know that in this story that what happened is the snake that came from, that was Moses' staff, ate the snakes that the magicians did, and then it came back to a staff in Moses' hand, showing that the God of creation is the God of all these demonic types of things. You are in a church that is a minority in the world today. Do you understand that? You're in a church that's in a minority because we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that there's no other way to God but through Him, that we're into His Word, that we dissect His Word, but understand, there's always going to be, until we meet Jesus face to face, there's going to be other people of power that are going to try to influence us. But understand that we've got to keep fighting the fight and running the race and staying the course. And you do that by keeping your face in His book. That's so crucial. Let's continue. Verse 18, therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. Verse 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? So basically, we're given the example of Pharaoh and his heart was hardened. And you might say, well, that doesn't seem fair. His heart's hardened. What choice does Pharaoh have? He was doomed before he started. No, he wasn't. No, he had a choice just like you or me. But understand, when Pharaoh was born, before he was born, just like before you and I were born, God knows 
what you're going to do in your life. God knows if you're going to receive Him as your Lord and Savior. God knows if you're going to heaven. He knows if you're going to reject Him and go to hell. He already knows. Well, how can you say that, Vinny? Well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is sovereign. He can do whatever He wants. He's all-knowing. He knows the beginning from the end. That's how He can tell you a prophecy back in Psalm 22, a thousand years before it's fulfilled, and then you can go back and look and read the fulfillment when Jesus was crucified. Psalm 22 describes the crucifixion in detail. But remember, there was no crucifixion when that psalm was written. They didn't even know what they were talking about. So God, throughout Scripture, over 300 times, God gives you prophecies that have been fulfilled to try to show you, hey, listen, guys, girls, listen. I'm trying to get it through to you. Don't harden your heart. You see, Pharaoh wanted to stay Pharaoh. He liked the comforts of his home, his castle, his kingdom. He didn't want to humble himself before this God of the Israelites and bow his knee to them. He's doing that now. For one day, every man and woman will be bowing their knee. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The point is, we want to do that now. We, want to, we don't want to wait till it's too late. We want to do it now. So as we read this here, God just confirmed when it says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. God is not hardening his heart, saying, okay, I'm going to harden your heart, John, tonight. No, he's just confirming what, he's just making firm what's already in your heart. Pharaoh didn't want to repent. So he's just agreeing with Pharaoh. Okay, Pharaoh, you want your heart to be this way? You don't want to turn to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? It's done. Your heart is hard against me and my people. Remember, hell was created for the devil and his angels. It doesn't say that hell was created for the devil, his angels, and Pharaoh, and other names. Just the devil and his angels. We choose, you and I choose, where we want to go based on what we do with Jesus Christ. The great thing is none of us can ever say, God, we never knew that. He loves us so much that he presents us the truth. What we do with the truth is up to us individually. Verse 20. But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor? and another for dishonor. And I just want to throw this out there right now as we continue. Are you a vessel of honor or are you a vessel of dishonor? We can look back in history and we can see that Pharaoh was a vessel of dishonor. We can look back and see that. We can see that Hitler was a vessel of dishonor. Okay, we can do that. We can see that Paul was a vessel of honor as well as all the apostles except for Judas. Judas was a vessel of dishonor. What are you? What am I? A vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor? Well, if you've received Jesus Christ into your heart, let's continue in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 to 11. 
It says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Hey, I got great news for you. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you're a vessel of honor. If you haven't yet received Him, well, you're not that vessel of honor yet. Can you become a vessel of honor? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we were all vessels of dishonor before we received Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Notice what Proverbs says. The Lord has made all for Himself. Yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. So even the wicked, the Lord has made for himself. But did he make them wicked? We were all sinners. Okay? We were all sinners before we came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that our heart is wicked. When Jesus steps into your life and presents you with himself, he's saying, hey, I died for you. I love you. You don't have to continue in the path of destruction. You can turn around and follow me to the path of life by faith. It takes faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. The just shall live by faith, the scripture says. If you want to be just, where you're free and you're innocent, you must allow Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, to take your place through faith. And then you're his son or his daughter. There's a substitution that takes place there. Verse 5, everyone proud, this is in Proverbs on the screen, everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Everyone proud in heart. Mention that with Pharaoh. I can say that about myself, how many times pride kept me from submitting to the Lord. And still creeps up. You still got to battle it. Pharaoh was a proud man. I think of our leaders in our country today over in the Middle East. The pride that they must have and the power that they feel that they have. But in an instant, they could be in eternity and realize they're just like you and me that they had an opportunity while they were on this earth to change. We think of the potter, and I thought this was a tremendous picture that I found. Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Verse 22, what if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Just in talking with Pharaoh, we know he did that. He endured Pharaoh for a long time. And notice that he endured him just to show his power. God lifted Pharaoh up to eventually put him down. Think about it. God used Pharaoh, who he knew had the hard heart against him, lifted him up. He was a king of the mightiest empire in the world at the time. Gave him opportunity to repent. And what happened? Pharaoh came crashing down. And the Lord's power was revealed through Pharaoh. And through Moses. A vessel of mercy. A vessel of honor. 
Verse 23 in Romans 9, And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Circle that one. Highlight that one. He's talking about you and me right there. Do you see it? Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. You might be a Jew here tonight. He's including you. You might be a non-Jew, a Gentile. He's including you. He's calling you to be his son or his daughter. And he is the potter. And what I love about this picture, I think you can see it from where you are, it's a shape of a little infant. And you have the, the potter's hands forming it. And notice, does this piece of clay that's being formed say, hey, what are you making? And I hear some laughter, but think about that. That's exactly what we do, don't we? In our walk with the Lord. Why is this happening? Why did you make me like this? What's going on in my life? I don't understand it. What about my parents? How come I was born into this situation? Why wasn't I born into this one? Oh my goodness, the, the list could go on. But yet, that's basically what we're doing. As the scripture points out, and Paul says, he can make you any way he wants for his glory. In a house, there's beautiful, expensive furniture or items. They're vessels of honor. But then you can go in, there's a toilet, or there's a spittoon, or there's some instrument. Those are vessels of dishonor. But you and I, if we put our trust in the Lord, are vessels of honor. We're his sons. We're his daughters. We have an inheritance that's coming. Could be coming quick. Keep your eye on Israel. Keep your eye on the Middle East. But are you ready? Look what Jesus is doing. There's no little babies right in front of me right now. But he has taken you from your mom's womb and he's been putting circumstances into your life, situations into your life, people into your life, good things, bad things, illnesses, health, financial woes. All of that is maneuvering. It's, it's punching. It, it's smoothing out. It's causing him to form you into the person he wants you to be. Now, the thing that you don't see in this picture and I want to close on tonight, is you don't see that God is the potter. If this was God's hands forming you and me, the one thing you're missing is you don't see the nail marks in his hands. You don't see the 33 years that he was on this earth living in a human flesh like you and me so we can identify with him that he was just like you and me in all ways except he did not sin. He was tempted to sin, but he did not sin. So we can go to him with any problem that we have and say, I don't understand why I'm like this, or I don't understand what's going on in my life, or I don't understand why I'm doing this. And he can say, well, I do. You're a sinner. And I've come to you and died on a cross so that you can live for me. And it's just a matter of faith and trust in a living, risen Savior. It's that simple. And the Bible says that one day, when all the believers are out of here, there's going to be people left behind who knew the truth. 
They knew that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. But they didn't trust him. They didn't put their faith in him. And they're left behind. Can they still be vessels of honor? Yeah. But boy, what a price they're going to have to pay in a world that's controlled by everybody against anybody who mentions the word Jesus. At least now, we can say, Jesus, you're awesome. Even if they're listening to this in the governmental buildings. Jesus, you're awesome. And if it's being piped in right now, you can turn whoever you are that's listening and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior because you're a sinner just like everybody here in this church tonight. Will they do that? Only time will tell. I don't know. But the question is, have you done that? Have you put your faith in a risen Savior? Understand that every circumstance that's ever happened in your life has brought you to the point you are tonight. For those of you who don't know me, I'm going into my 40th year of public school teaching one week from today. And I know I only look 45, and that's cool. I appreciate it. But think about that. Think about that time and how fast it goes. And I just found out the other day, a 25-year-old kid that graduated eight years ago committed suicide. His first name was Ty. Committed suicide. Eight years ago, Seven years ago, he was right in my phys ed classes. He was out on the field playing games, going to dances, doing his high school thing. Today, he's no longer on this earth. I don't know where he stood with Jesus Christ. And that's the question that we close on tonight. Where do you stand? Where do I stand? Are you in a right relationship with him? If you're not, don't be foolish and think that you're going to live 40 more years. Don't be foolish to think you're going to live one more week. Don't be foolish and think you're going to live one more day. There's no guarantee. There could be a nuclear war this week. That's not to scare you. That's simply to say, where are you with the risen Savior? Do you know Him? Do you trust Him? Are you ready to be with Him, whether it's tonight or 50 years from now? The Bible says that today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You know why? Because there's no guarantee of tomorrow. And in the 40 years that I've taught, I can tell you, I've seen 13-year-olds die. I've seen a 10-year-old die. And I've also seen a 90-year-old die. But I don't know when they're going to go. Do you? And think of what Pastor Jason said. I thought it was a great line. Were you there? Well, Jesus Christ has been there before the foundation of the world, through all this history, through your history, and what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word.